Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. Our relationship to our past or the image of our past has been so abridged because of, you know, part of the nationalist project is to have a sort of myth, myth to mythologize and homogenize your, your nation's past. So to give, to give the reason for the nation to be. So My name is Jeremy Gage. And welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. This is an educational show involving all things tabletop role-playing industry. Listen alongside me as we hear from creators, entrepreneurs, and supporters about their personal best practices, principles, and philosophies. I encourage anyone from the budding game designer to a seasoned publisher and everyone in between to sit down with us and enjoy today's episode. everyone thank you for coming to the draw your dice podcast my name is jeremy gage as you heard in the intro but as always the show is never about me it is about who i have brought to you today and i have brought a another international guest from across the globe this person is one piece of centaur games they have a kickstarter coming around the horizon reach of the roach god I would like to welcome to the show, Zedek. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for being here. As, a, as an opener to the show, would you just give a brief introduction of who you are, how you present yourself to the internet, and any links so that people can go check out your stuff slash give you money as soon as possible? Sure. So I'm Zedek Siu. I'm writer, designer, translator based in Pontics in Malaysia. And uh, yeah, with the Visual Artist Mangkau, we we make a series of RPG zines called Thousand Thousand Islands. I can be found at on Twitter at ZXU, and we have a website thousandthousandislands.com. And yeah, amazing, <laughs> great, great. Additionally, would you also sort of walk us through? the lineage of your tabletop experience, sort of like what was the first game you played that kind of got you into the hobby? And then what was the first idea that got you designing? So my first, my first game was pretty conventional. So I started playing when the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons came out. In fact, I started playing with Mankao. Uh, so we, so we, we'd been interested in tabletop role-playing games separately for, for quite a few years. But it was more of like, hey, there, there's these things and like, there, there are these cool books with cool art and like interesting like, like writing and settings and stuff. But it wasn't until one of our other friends. And so we, 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 me and Manka were both part of like the sort of arts community in Kuala Lumpur, which is Malaysia's capital. And so that's how I know him. And we weren't, we weren't friends through gaming, if you, if you see what I mean. And uh, it wasn't un- until one of our other friends said, hey, I used to play Dungeons & Dragons in, in university, and they have a new edition out. So are you guys interested? So yeah, I mean, that, that was basically our first time playing. And 
so it's I guess it's it's serendipitous or 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 full circle in the sense that me Mankau and also Grace who is also helping us on our Kickstarter project our upcoming Kickstarter project that all three of us were part of that same campaign yeah I guess this is in terms of actually making things I like I can cite two things quite specifically. One was finding a blog by the sort of old school Renaissance designer, Patrick. So his blog, False Machine, was something I just stumbled on. And it was a particular post on the blog. He, he had written about a book called uh, The Art of Not Being Governed by, by an academic, James Scott. And the book is basically an ethnography of the Zomia region in sort of mainland Southeast Asia. It, it's a it's a kind of like peripheral slash sort of like things are in flux there in this in the sense of in flux from the perspective of nation states. So it's it's kind of like a border sort of region or a mountainous region where the nation states that kind of claim that they have had trouble sort of administrating because I mean. The, the ideas of nation the idea of a nation state is fairly modern and fairly you 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 could argue imperialistic and the and the people of that region is just just resistant for various reasons anyway so like Patrick's post was reading this ethnography and sort of spinning game ideas out of like the the sort of the, the details in the book. And that was the first time where I saw, hey, this is, this is what games can be like. You know, they don't always have to be about sort of power fantasies or like, uh, like, oh, uh, this is the Star Wars RPG where I want to, I want to, I want to play, I want to emulate uh, a sort of a Star Wars protagonist or like a, a protagonist from my favorite sort of like. Uh, pop culture sort of piece of media. This is this is making games out of stuff that aren't games or aren't sort of pop culture, aren't sort of mediated in that sense. Yeah, I just found that, that sort of sense of eclecticism really inspiring. And it also helped that the book was, the book that Patrick was reading was kind of about Southeast Asia. And obviously I'm Southeast Asian. So yeah, I... That got me into the sort of old school sort of sub community, and that got me writing sort of material, just based on whatever it is that was in my context. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> did that answer the question? Hello. Oops. Oh, sorry. My mic was muted so that I didn't have any uh, sounds come through. No, I you definitely answered the question. I think those were those were beautiful answers. You you gave us what the first game you sort of played was with your with your now colleague of Centaur Games. Um and you also told us the inspiration you had, which an amazing inspiration for sure. And also that 
it opened you up to a different community so soon, specifically mm. the OSR community, which is really cool. And and then it also was a touch point for like your personal ethos of inspiration or fictional inspiration. And I think that's some, you know, a lot of recently I've been really asking myself like what is because we have conversations on Twitter and on the internet's about like, what are we allowed to write? What are we allowed Mm. to explore when we come from different places? And I think a lot lately about like, what is America's mythology? And I don't mean like, what was its mythology before we colonialized it? I mean, like, what is it now? Like, do we, do we have one? Is it sort of like the Jersey devil? Is it the Sasquatch, right? Like all those things that all those like cryptids we talk about in America is that our, mythology Mm. uh and so i think a lot about how do i derive inspirations of mystical things from the current era of america so that i'm not doing a bad job at other people's cultures yeah i mean that's i mean that's a that's a subject matter that really interests me uh as well because i mean it's I mean, it's it's not something. It's it's definitely something that me and Macau face when it comes to sort of our project, a thousand thousand islands, is kind of like mm-hmm. a, a sort of zine series that's inspired by Southeast Asia, but and in that sense, you know, like we we then have to sort of ask ourselves uh, about the question of no, we don't want to. We're not here to do to represent Southeast Asia because that's impossible. It's not Mm. even our place because any, like any act of representation is kind of like stepping, at least for me, I, I, I do, I do, I am, I feel fairly okay to say this. Like you only, you only really represent yourself and how much you can represent ends at your, where your skin ends. So yeah, it's all, it's, it's really about, and and so like navigating that sort of question, uh, Macau and I always always return to this idea of like, what is our what are our interests, but also what are our lived realities, and mm-hmm. so a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the stuff we make. Granted, there's a there's there's a fair bit of sort of research based work as well. Like Macau is mm-hmm. a visual artist, and a lot of his images are created with lots and lots of like referencing and research about sort of material culture, like fabric star, like fabric motifs. Mm-hmm. And fabric fabric is a big deal in in in, in sort of the region. And sort of architectural, sort of like like what curly cues did the houses have? Like uh, what kind of wood carvings? All all that stuff. But more than that, the zines are really, for example, one of our zines, which is kind of like a zine zine set in sort of a mountain kingdom and has a kind of like haunted mansion sort of feel to it. It literally Mm -hmm. comes from Mankau having a holiday in a sort of in a place called the Cameron Highlands, which is kind of a hill Mm -hmm. station holiday place. And in the sort of in the rented bungalow where they were staying, his mother had sort of a dream about being sort of exsanguinated by ticks. Wow. So yeah, Oof. a lot of this comes from sort of oh. like, so, and, and if you, and if you've seen the zine, the zine is literally kind of about, kind of about Merkiger, our 
crocodile zine comes from the fact that I live in a state called Negris and Milan and I get my water from from a river called Sungai Linggi. And mm-hmm. there are lots of saltwater crocodiles in that river. And you, wow. and you know that there's sort of stories that you hear as you're growing up or that you read and in sort of like sort of tabloid magazines about this family whose grandmother or great-grandmother was a crocodile and frequently sort of possesses the sort of daughter of the family because she wants to visit the family. You know, so it's, it's stories like that that kind of like ultimately inform the work. And so like that idea of like really just being specific. So like the mm-hmm. question of like, what is the American myth or the American... And I find that actually Patrick... I use Patrick as, a, as an example for this too because he made a book called Silent Titans, which is about his hometown in England, like specifically. So a lot of the references in that game or in that sort of campaign setting are so Birkenhead specific that and sort of like the myth of that particular region or that particular city. And ultimately, mm-hmm. that's that's what's really exciting. The, the specificity of a thing makes it hmm. exciting, makes it universal. So you don't have to so represent. You don't have to represent a region or a or a nation or anything. You you only represent yourself, and that is that is the representation. I think that feels so kind of freeing, as you say it, because yeah, it's it's like what what represents you and your experiences is so fascinating because I think that is something that's sort of overlooked, especially in like trad fantasy games when they're trying to include dragons and demons that have different like sort of connotations from different cultures and stuff Mm. like that and gods. Mm. Right. And I think it's so interesting that I could like, cause I'm really interested in a modern fantasy. So I like, sort of science fantasy settings like Numenera is an example of a science fantasy setting. Mm -hmm. I like cities, but I don't like cyberpunk. I don't really like sci-fi. I like more like Magitech stuff. I'm a big Final Fantasy fan. And I really have been thinking about modern fantasy a ton. And that's, that's a good, that's a great insight. Zedek, that's a, that's a really good insight. And I also really love, like you were sort of mentioning the inspirations for Monk, Moncow's like illustrations, especially when it, as it relates to like fashion and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And specifically as I was watching the questing beast video for, and this would be a great transitionary point to start talking about a thousand thousand islands, but for the, let me pull it up real quick. Corvu. Is that mm-hmm. how you say that? Yeah. Corvu, the drowned or dry vassal of the sea, the sort of like head pieces or even like the decapitated head pieces of all the, what is it? Boat, boat swains, boat, boat, just all like the, the boat pieces that get as a piece to that is so, so cool. So very, very cool. And the living ships is just amazing. And, but you know, before any of that, could you just, could you just talk about a little bit of what the a thousand thousand islands project is? Okay, so a uh, thousand thousand islands started as started with Mankau, and he was basically it was a reaction. He was reacting to the kind of 
Southeast Asian themed or Southeast Asian inspired sort of, I guess, pop culture or fantasy sort of stuff he was seeing at the time, which were, which really felt to him as like, okay, this is not, this really doesn't feel Southeast Asian. It is, or I don't like, it feels like someone's taken sort of Western fantasy tropes or, or wuxia tropes and redress them so reskin them with with sort of like a Malay warrior with a Dunkolo and a Chris. so it really like he wanted to do a thing uh, a project to sort of expand the sort of boundaries of uh, his own imagination so when mm-hmm. when he had this reaction he he, he thought about it and, and he realized that we really can't at least talking to about ourselves, Manko and I are Malaysian, and we can't, or we found that our conception of what Malaysian fantasy would look like was very narrow because the our relationship to our past or the image of our past has been so abridged because of, you know, part of the nationalist project is to have a sort of myth, myth or to mythologize and homogenize your your nation's past. So hmm. to give to give the reason for the nation to be. So with Malaysia, for example, it's very much focused on a single sultanate called the Malaccan Sultanate. So it's 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 Malay Muslim. It is all to do with the idea of this dashing Malay warrior with the caress and sort of yeah think, things like that. And uh, so like he wanted to look at the sort of broader cultures that used to exist and still exist, but we don't really focus on the sort of Hindu Buddhist pasts of the region. The, the the just the sheer amount of diversity in terms of like how people dressed, what people ate, sort of cultural things like how, how people built their homes, how people lived in homes, all all the kinds of gods and spirits that you that even in the in the even in our lived reality is still very real for for us, but we're just not used to thinking about it or, or, or being or paying attention to it. So anyway, that's when I get roped in and then we, de- we decide, hey, we've got all this material. We've all got these cool stories and cool, like places that we've sort of dreamed up. What do we do with them? And then Marco and I decided that, hey, we, we like playing these RPG things, but also we like having these RPG books. So let's make these zines. And each a thousand thousand island scene is an island, a town, a village, or a city, a sort of polity that is part of this wider sort of. We use the word porous fantasy a lot because. And what idea, does what does that mean? So the idea is, and and this sort of falls into the idea of like thinking about centers and peripheries. Southeast Asia, by its nomenclature, is a periphery. The term Southeast Asia is, is a name that American fo- foreign policy gave us after the World War. And uh, yeah, when you look and e- and even when you look at like sort of sort of fantasy settings, generally like whether they're RPG or RPG settings or not, generally there's always a, a single city or a single culture which is basically the center of the world, and everything is written with. As a as a response or exception to that center, 
Mm-hmm. So we wanted to make a sort of series of zines with no center. So when when you pick up one of the zines, they they oftentimes are introduced by you know a person arriving there, but they they will tend to have they they have a cast of characters. They have like like random generators for places, for names, for for foods. They they always have a list of trade goods, but they all but. More important than that is the sort of perspective that they take, which is regardless of where you're from, the gods of this particular, from this particular zine or in this particular place are real. The sort of creation myths are real, even if they contribute other creation myths in other zines. So yeah, it's, it's a, so Manka and I would say that it, it's a way of portraying the concept of the sort of Mandela, Mandela form, which is... In terms of at least politics of, of in Southeast Asia, there used to be all these cities or, or sort of polities whose influence radiated out, outwards as opposed to like the way we conventionally view the world now, which is with borders. So like there'd be a city here and a city there and the communities between those cities. So everything is, everything is in negotiation because nobody can say, hey, you are within my borders, I own you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was, so yeah, that's a long-winded question. That's a long-winded explanation of the, the way we, what we mean by porous. So, oh, so the the other thing is, so the, the, the Thousand Thousand Islands will probably never have a map. If we do draw a map of the whole sort of, I, all, the, all the places we've written about, it will probably not be definitive. And now, so our go-to way of generating, hey, if you want to play a game set in a thousand thousand islands, uh, take all your zines and throw them on the floor and how they fall mm-hmm. is how they are arranged, how the, how these places relate to each other. I thank you for answering both of those questions for me and for maybe the listeners who had a similar question. But one thing there was a, first of all, I love the sense of like, the conceptual mandala you were talking about when it comes to different places or cultures or identities and how those are sort of like the in-betweens or the negotiations of peoples from those kind of would be the centers. And then the, the sort of mixing would be the, the periphery. Right. Uh, And uh, did I misspeak? No, no, no. Uh, I I was just going to, I'm going to say that the basically what we've been trying to do is to make every place its center, its own center. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, and I love that. I love that so much. And there was a, a GDC talk about settings, specifically micro settings was the f- term they were throwing around during that talk. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'm so attracted to a thousand thousand islands, both in concept and in execution is that they fit this sort of like really interesting micro setting energy that I think gets overlooked in your more traditional fantasy games yeah, where you have yeah. like a big sprawling map that's wide open. But yeah. if like you really take the pieces of the map, there's really only like five cities in this giant continent that someone made up. Yeah, so yeah. I, and, it's and it also feels like, oh, go ahead. No, so it's 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 interesting that a lot so much of like sort of traditional fantasy settings are so reliant on maps, and I think mm-hmm. it's telling because I mean, 
maps were made by imperial powers so mm. that they could better measure distances and so better make, uh, administrate and administrate their sort of holdings. And so something that came up, so we, at, in the recent sort of iteration of Metatopia, Richard Ruin sort of got a bunch of us together to talk about this very same topic that you, you mentioned, the idea of uh, microsettings and how that related to our work. And so something that came up during uh, the course of our conversation, which I was really pleased with, was that was the observation that a sort of macro setting or this sort of traditional sort of map-based fantasy setting is, it is a micro setting that doesn't know that or doesn't want to admit it. Because there is mm-hmm. always, in the building of these worlds, there are always assumptions about how the cosmology works, which gods are which gods are gods and which gods are spirits. You know, like all those like little sort of judgment calls and assumptions that are kind of invisible. For example, I, I was also talking to talking with, with in another podcast about this about this idea that Dungeons and Dragons, like from the from its very first beast theory, had this clear distinction between monsters. And animals. Mm. So, like animals are mundane; they are basically naturalistic, sort of empirically scientific animals, like basically mundane biological creatures. And monsters mm-hmm. are these like eldritch things that are, can ha- have magic or like ru- turn turn your swords to rust or whatever. And the, the thing the thing about it is that even if you're talking in the context of sort of Europe. Europe, uh, European sort of uh, mythis. That's not how animals were viewed. And, like so much of animal folklore, like things to do with foxes or like how you relate to bears, treat animals with such a sort of mystique. So so many story, like folk stories, are about how this animal has this particular magic. And because mm-hmm. of where probably sort of Gary Gygax's assumptions about how the world works. Dungeons and Dragons, as its bestiary sort of encodes, can't tell an animal, a, a folk animal story. I mean, obviously, you can sort of like change the rules, basically, because like everybody change, everybody house rules Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that assumption, I thought it was interesting to see that assumption baked in into what is basically here are the abstract rules, the bones of the world, so to speak which really doesn't reflect a widespread idea, but a specific assumption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Often I think about how, how much we take for granted what our world, like the planet earth is like, like I think constantly about lightning and how that is just like raw energy that forms in a cloud and shoots down to the surface. Like everyone's like, oh, like that's a thunderstorm. But like how truly mind-boggling and amazing is lightning, is mm. a tornado, is like the ocean. Like we and then when you talk about sort of how people viewed these animals as or there are some cultures in the world who view animals as a more like mis, have a more mystic quality to them or a more maybe even eldritch quality to them mm-hmm. as we as we talk about the difference between a monster and a beast for the Gygaxian train of thought mm-hmm. it's like these trickster spirits or these spirits of strength or something like that like the the comparison between a human being 
and a bear is insane. Like the difference in strength, the difference in size, the difference in like what they care about and how they feel about different things or what they represent to people is just like, there's so many different angles you could look at Mm. just a single animal on the planet. And even, even more so when you either a put that animal in its environment and then view the environment as a piece of that animal or even vice versa. And then if you were to do fiction and fantastically move the bear into a different, like what does a desert bear look like? Right. Like that's so mystical. That's so like fascinating to me. And I think it's just, we, it's something that, that I don't think a lot of people think about, especially as it relates to like imperialism and colonization and stuff like that and Mm. nationalism uh, and how it sort of like erases those or maybe not, maybe erase isn't the, the right word, but it, it, it obfuscates, 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 yeah. yeah, all those ideas. And it's something I constantly try to like unlock in my mind about how mystical earth is by itself. Yeah. And yeah, so like, yeah, I, I guess that's what we, what, what that's what we're exploring. The idea that if every different place is it's its own center, then the way the world works changes from, mm-hmm. every, from place to place mm-hmm. or, and, and so the, the contradiction is, is part of the world. If you, mm-hmm. if you yeah. And we, my and I think about this a lot because obviously I guess modern middle-class Anglophone sort of like rational thinking people, but during hungry ghost month, we're still careful when the sun goes down, you know what I mean? And it's mm-hmm. it's not a question of whether whether or not ghosts exist. It it really is a but is a question of like does the ghost know that you you think it doesn't exist? I, I remember this quote and I all I often talk about it even though I can't find the source. It it was an interview with a one of the sort of indigenous communities in East East Malaysia. Like so, like th- this community is now largely Christian because of of, of sort of imper- like colonialism and sort of missionary work. But they, but some of their their sort of older their elders remember and and still practice the sort of like their their sort of traditions. And the, it was an interesting quote because. Oh, we are Christian now, but like during the Harvest Festival, we try not to spend the night in the longhouse because the longhouse is full of spirits, and the our the spirits of our ancestors uh, will probably be offended that we don't believe in them anymore. And I just just found that you know that idea is so actually so emblematic about how I relate to this context, for example, like that mm-hmm. that. That seeming contradiction is is just the way I live, and uh, that's the kind of thing that we are trying to present, I suppose, in our work. What was what was the name of the event? You just the hung the hungry ghosts. So, uh, hungry ghost festival. It's a it's hungry a, ghost festival. Yes, could you tell us about that? I would oh if you're God. if you're open to it. It's it's also called the seventh month because that's when it. Like the seventh month is seventh month of the sort of lunar calendar. So it's a it's an East Asian sort of Chinese thing, and Manka and I both are ethnically Chinese. So yeah, during 
during Hanagiro's month, if I'm not mistaken, the gates of hell open and basically like tormented spirits walk the earth. And and you know, like as you as a relative, you're meant to sort of like entertain them, keep them fed for this period of time. So so a lot of community, like a lot of Chinese communities would put on like sort of Oprah shows and like and so like it, it's one of these things where they their their sort of Oprah stage shows and people will go to watch them and then the front the few front rows are kept empty because that's where the ghosts would, would sit. Yeah, so it's 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 just one of those things. Yeah. I think it's cool. <laughs> I think that's amazing. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. It's yeah, it's just part of life. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think there's I think when we talk about this conversation of creating uh, all these centers of experiences. I think it's mm. also like a piece of that is learning about those centers, like, like yeah, from yeah. center to center, learning about those centers. Right. And then engaging in that conversation. So like I, while the thing to that particular center might feel mundane or just kind of like a you know a thing we do that's sort of like cyclical or habitual i think for the other center it's like wow that's exactly and i'm exactly. not trying to blow smoke up anyone's ass like i truly think that's amazing but, and, and that's the uh, thing like i i understand what you're saying and the, the the reverse is also true and that's why i was taken so much with patrick's uh silent titans and i'm sure if you if if if, if somebody from america would write about their sort of home city or home hometown there'd be mm-hmm. these little little details that would be like wow that would as as a person who's not from there would mm-hmm. be would be really uh sort of fire for the imagination mm-hmm. yeah. do you think that i mean this this might go back into like a conversation about like colonialism or imperialism but do you think like there is do you think in this in this concept of a thousand thousand islands or even in the concept of like centers and peripheries, Mm. do you think the conversation of like learning, learning about another center changes the center learning about it? Like, do you think, do you think that centers adjust over time as they experience other centers? That's a, that's a complicated question. I think. Yeah. And so like, that's that's the thing I think when 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 sort of at least in the sort of patchwork of the sort of Southeast Asian region before colonialism or even before the arrival of Islam, yeah, I mean like uh, take Southeast Asia in the colonial age when when the sort of when the white people arrived, they were just one of many, many players in the region. It was all this idea of like sort of the the, the ancient capital of Thailand used to have a a Japanese quarter and a and a, and a Malay quarter. Like the sort of Filipino sailors were, were sort of Filipino mercenaries or warriors were hired throughout the region by different like kingdoms. So yeah, I mean like. There was, it's just trade in things and people and culture. Things were basically part, were, were again, we circle back to the idea of porousness. So mm-hmm. the centers were porous in that, 
you know, like you might look different from you, but if you play, you might look different from us, but we are fairly different looking from each other. And I mean, stuff used to be basically feudal before they were before nationalism, right? So if you pay Mm -hmm. homage to your the local deity or the local king or the local power, it didn't matter really how you how you looked, because everybody was kind of weird, especially if you if you are in in a kind of region like Southeast Asia where there were so many sea nomadic cultures, there, there was so much, so much trade from India and China, and yeah, and I think I think to answer your question, the the idea of centers only solidify much later when. And this this is kind of related to Western imperialism and the, mm-hmm. really the industrialization of imperialism, because that's what colonialism was about. It was the industrialization of these uh, push and pull of influence and power. Yeah. So, so I yeah things centers always change. They just became less open to change when they needed to industrialize. So fascinating, truly fascinating. I love this. I love like the scene of someone from one center visiting another center and sort of like paying respects that Mm. centers Mm. like ideologies or values, but, but in doing so are also able to maintain their identity as they visit because yeah, yeah. you're merely just showing like, Oh, cool. Like, uh, uh, I don't know. We, you know, everyone, this is from monster care squad. So that's why it's in my head. But like we trade like salts from our regions with each other. Like that's our sign of like connecting with one another. And then beyond that, like we are still our individual cultural representation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even if we're exploring a different space and not in like a touristy way, but like a, almost in like an ambassador or yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like an ambassador sort of state. I think in the absence of, because what's, what really the arrival of the West brought to the region was the sense that there is a single cosmology. And absent of you go to a place and you play, you, you visit the local temple of the local deity because you would pay homage to that deity in the same way that you would pay homage to that king. When you go to a particular region of the jungle that has a tiger in it, you better be you know you got to reckon with the tiger there. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they're cut tigers where you live yourself is a different matter. But when you go to the tiger's tiger's home, you you treat with the tiger. Mm-hmm. But also when you when, when you go visiting and you 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 bring your gods with you because they're part of you. And I mean the the innovation of colonialism or, or, or sort of Western imperialism is to say that the world is a certain way and wherever we go it is the same. But absent of that, you you really have Every travel is an ambassador ambassadorship, like you say. It's a negotiation. Wow. So with sort of that conversation of centers, what is your sort of favorite setting that you've created so far for A Thousand Thousand Islands? Oh, God. You have to pick. <laughs> you have to pick one of your babies. <laughs> Oh no! I guess I can pick a random that makes it easier. <laughs> That's not an answer to the question. Random <laughs> isn't favorite. Well, 
If it makes it easier, you can pick random. I'm just teasing. So, okay, okay. I mean, because it often is the case which that the... the it hap- happily, it, it is a case, and that, that's why that's why Marco and I are enjoying the project so much. Is that the it often it often is is that the, our latest completed zine is kind of like oh this is some cool shit. So the 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 latest zine that one of the zines that we put out like a few months ago, I mean our latest one was a zine called Hundred Red Scales. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty pr- pleased with that. So that's that zine is an is about an archipelago inhabited by mon- monitor lizards. Basically, they're monitor lizards, but they are they are essentially the the people of these islands, and the sort of humans, if you like, like uh, human people who live there adopt the sort of local culture, which is because monitor lizards don't make vocalizations. So their language is entirely gestural and sort of, and so like humans also like, yeah, if, if you, if you talk to, if basically arrival, new arrivals are very obvious because they talk that kind of marks you as a tourist. So yeah, I, I, I was, I really liked the zine because I mean, it's fresh in my mind, and also the the sort of specific inspirations for it are pretty specific. So, the sort of geography that's described within is sort of mangrovey and sort of island, sort of mangrove centric, muddy sort of roots, tangles of roots, and it's inspired by sort of trips we both Manka and I took separately to a place called Langkawi in the north of Malaysia, which is a sort of island where a lot of these like limestone karst and sort of mangrove forests, and you go kayaking through it, and it's really quite strange and yeah, inspiring, I guess. Also, the monitor lizards of this place are... We- a weaving is sacred in the in in this archipelago, and a lot of the mm-hmm. sort of weaving traditions was were were inspired by things I saw in in Lombok in Indonesia. So, like my partner Sharon was in Lombok as part of a sort of a art project, and she worked with sort of traditional weavers in the in in one of those communities, and I got to wow. like sit and like watch them work. So yeah, I mean like. Paying homage to, yeah. So I mean, I, I'm pretty pleased with that scene. Yeah, it's it is very cool. The I really love that the it's all it's almost like a sign language in a sort of way, which mm-hmm. is really really cool. And another like piece of that particular setting that I love are the like the NPCs or the the sort of like presented figures in the book, like twenty late claw and thirteen silk bone. Those are just like first of all, the drawings f- fucking ripping amazing. They're so good. Yeah, uh, it's so detailed too. It's super detailed. Oh God, it's gorgeous. And just like another like really interesting piece that's a little bit more like on the game side of things. The tables are also really cool. I love the way that they're constructed and the the bits that are that make up the results. Like I think you chose really right. interesting terms, languages, uh, language, adjectives. Like it all really sings character to the specific center, micro setting, whatever term 
we want to use here. Yeah, it's it's absolutely it, yeah. it's stunningly beautiful. It's it's so charming Thank you. and like you you mentioned the sort of game design aspect of it. Like the zines obviously are are system neutral or system agnostic, mm-hmm. whichever term you prefer. That's primarily because Mankao and I are not really at, at least in I, in my own eyes, I, I don't see myself as a rules person. I I don't mm-hmm. really think in those terms. Like some people are really great at like like making sort of elegant abstract sort of this like interlocking systems that 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 sing or whatever. And yeah, I just found so for us because Manka is a visual artist and I'm a writer, text and text and art is also part of game design in the sense that yeah, those 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 tables are put together in a certain way. They're meant to be they're meant to lead they are they are always created in the in the view of like how would a player who is encountering this 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 space or this creature or this um, like, I mean and creature and character are interchangeable often in the scenes what how would they react to this person this this person or entity or place what about the aspect might hook me if i encountered this 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 thing for real how would this particular combination of results if you roll them create hooky character i guess is the word yeah so that's that's my excuse for a for for writing system neutral stuff, it's <laughs> yeah. How how what are the bones of a good story, or or what are the bones of a sort of situation that might go some somewhere? That's mm-hmm. always in that's always in our minds when we make the images or the text. Yeah, there's a term that's like floating around in my mind as you sort of talk about that. Is like what is the sort of someone might use the term like inciting incident someone might Mm -hmm. use the term Mm -hmm. of like conflict but i really think maybe something a little bit more um evocative for me in this moment as i'm as i'm searching my mind is i took some i watched some like drawing lessons on youtube and stuff and my my partner is a visual artist and one of the things that i find really fascinating when it comes to character design is gesture Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how gesture is the sort of like vocab word for like movement or being in a space and how you present that in a 2D way. So as you sort of like talk about this, I think about like, well, then what is the gesture of any particular NPC or story or setting? Like what is the movement? Yeah. How does it operate in its space on a narrative level? And I think I, I just think that yeah, concept yeah, yeah. now in my mind is really really fascinating the the, the gesture of narrative and the uh, thing about com- communicating that kind of detail is it's not just about sort of it's not doesn't only serve the sort of narrative or, or the sort of this i mean this the the, the shared creation of narrative in the rpg but also in the sort of pra- more practical like how do you run this character how do you portray it mm-hmm. if you are the gm or if you are the character who's playing the or the player who's playing that character so that so something about like the zines are very very the zines are relatively light on text and the the, the drawings are so detailed because and that's by design because so like there's a lot of there's a lot of set there's a lot of context orientation that is going on with the with the images 
because Southeast Asia is not a very familiar sort of vocabulary of imagination or or, mm-hmm. or gesture, as you put it, uh, in terms of like the way people dress, how how people behave, the fact that nobody wears shoes. But that sort of stuff is kind of signaled almost on a subconscious level because you you basically look at the the image of the character and you kind of get what how you might be able to play this and what the sort mm-hmm. of cues of the culture are about. I remember Amanda Frank sort of saying that when she ran A Thousand Thousand Islands for her home group, it was really like whenever people were kind of confused about how something would look or like they, they had trouble imagining this character, she'd just show them the zine and they'd like, ah, that's, mm-hmm. how, the, the, that's how it looks. And because it's not... It's not impressionistic. Sort of Mankao's drawings give so much information in terms of like the textile culture and the sort of the way the masks look and the way how how this cre- how this lizard is dancing with the mask. You kind of yeah. So that that sort of orientation is done for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's so fascinating. Now I'm thinking about like narrative at with like visual art terms Mm -hmm. my mind's exploding but that's that's another podcast for another day with that i would like to allow you the opportunity to sort of talk about the kickstarter that's coming up yes would you would you just give a brief introduction for maybe someone who's not familiar about reach of the roach god and sort of walk us through like what that how that excuse me what that project has been like so far so, Reach of the Roach God, it will be part of A Thousand Thousand Islands. Mm-hmm. It will be our first book-length work. So, the, the, the zines in A Thousand, Thousand Islands have all been zines, so they're fairly short, 40 pages. This one will be a full-length hardcover. It will also be our first adventure book. Ooh. So, it is a... So, basically, the zines have all been... I mean, they, they all have adventure, adventure sort of like seeds and random generators you could you can run you could create adventures in them but these so reach of the roach god will have basically three fully formed advent like adventures hex crawls or like cave crawls the Mm. the book is themed around caves southeast asia has a lot of these huge cave complexes and yeah i mean like they're like Manka and I have been in not many, but even just one makes you creeped out and sort of awed in this in the same light. So like we really want to communicate them. So yeah, there'll there'll be there'll be three adventures. They'll all push you underground. The book will also have three essentially zine similar to our zines, three gazetteers of like cultures that exist in this sort of underworld. I've been sort of telling people that this is kind of our take on, a, on an underdark book. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the underdark book. Um, and yes, you, there'll be roaches because caves are full of roaches and uh, Manka and I both hate roaches. Uh, <laughs> Fear roach is more, more is probably the more accurate word. And with this, we just decided to tack into our fear. It is being, we're still working on it. So really the kickstart is a way to sort of sustain ourselves as we work on the book length, because it is, a, it will take a while and we'll need to 
we can't work on any more zines while we're working on the book. So mm-hmm. it really Makes is sense. fundraising as opposed to like a pre-order. It, this is fundraising our, our livelihoods for the next few months as we finish this thing. That's amazing. Um, and exciting, truly. I, I think, again, like bo- both you and Mungkau's imaginations and touch points are so, they feel very unique in a very cool way. At least, to, again, to me, as, as one center to another center, in that, you know, when you, when you say it out loud, it seems so obvious. Like, of course, roaches in caves, that's fucking easy sauce but like i've never i've never put two and two together because at least for us like i guess roaches live in sewers here in america and things like that and those are technically technically cave systems but oftentimes we see them in houses that have gone kind Mm -hmm. of like defunct or abandoned and they're eating sort of like the leftover organic materials and that's like it's more like they feel like infestations rather than putting them in a place of ecosystem for yours. Like to me, it feels very ecosystem. It feels like this is where like, this is their home. This is where they reside. But for us, it's like they're invading our homes and it feels very like alien and and things of that nature. So yeah. So roaches are filthy and vicious and like sort of like they do, they are, they are, voracious cannibals and and all these other mm-hmm. things so so that the the that this the, the the emphasis on infestation has a grounding but the thing about it is that a lot a, a lot of a lot of things from the natural world are just mean and gross and but also so like part of part of researching the book and both manka and i have talked about this separately is like we now constantly have a tabs open linked to gross <laughs> things like really like how do roach ma- mouth parts work what does roach blood taste like absolutely not <laughs> but, the, but then the, the interesting thing about making a piece of work about the subject is that then you i, I don't want to say that you kind of humanize a gross thing but you sort of familiarize yourself with it so i started so, so because i'm more aware of the idea of roaches i started noticing that like we my partner and i have have been composting quite uh, intensively in our garden trying to we're basically trying to grow vegetables and we found like in in those piles of compost it's full full of roaches hmm. they don't they don't look like they don't they maybe don't look like the ones that live in the house and eat the eat people food but mm-hmm. they are still roaches and they look, they don't trigger my phobias because they look kind of beetle-like more, closer to beetles. They're, they're slightly smaller. They're, they're more black than sort of caramel colored and like, mm-hmm. they still move the same way, but they're, yeah. So like, like seeing different aspects of this is like, I guess personally is the most interesting thing about it. Like, I don't want to say mm-hmm. I like roaches now, but just see more of them, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, I think it again goes back to that, like, ecosystem thing of, like, like you said, this is, you, this last story was about, like, the composting 
of it, right? For us, typically in the American suburb, we rely a lot on worms to do the work that roaches are doing for you when it comes to compost piles. Mm. And so it just, again, like sort of like maybe calms me, me down in terms of, you know, attributing this thing specifically to infestation. Like that is what like it is uh, sort of like diseasey or virusy or something like that. But that's not necessarily what's going on here. It's just like these roaches, their ecosystem are our defunct houses and all the like organic material that lives inside of them. And we're as much like, you know, we eat meat and stuff too. So we're just as gross Mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. roaches and in lots of ways grosser because we're destroying the whole planet. But, you know, that's again, another podcast for another day. I often write, uh, so like the, the roach god, the titular roach god of reach of the roach god is kind of, it's basically an antagonist, an antagonistic figure. And Mm. most of my villains are stand-ins for like sort of imperialist or oligarchs anyway. So Mm. uh, that, that idea that, we are destroying the world uh, without hunger is, is is very much part of the metaphor of the of the roach god. Metaphor, it's a truth, my friend. It's yeah, yeah. absolute. <laughs> there's no there's no allegory here. Wow, it sounds it sounds so cool. It sounds so fantastical, but it all it 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 is it feels very grounded. It feels very grounded in its source material and thus gives it more I have, yeah, verisimilitude. I, 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 there it is. I found it. Verisimilitude in terms of like its realism or its immersion in its center. And I think it's, it sounds so crushingly easy to succeed. I don't, I don't know why it would. <laughs> it just, so. it just seems of, so amazing. Yeah, a, we, we, we're pretty nervous about it because it's our first, it's our first camp. It's our first campaign. Mm-hmm. And, um, it is kind of hard to sort of run a campaign from this region. Yeah. So, yeah, we hope it, God, we really hope it works out. I want it to work out for you. And that's why, you know, that's part of the reason why we're doing this today. So we inform the people about what's going on so that they can get acclimated to spending dollars on the game. You have, do you have a follow page up for Reach of the Roach? We've got a bit.ly, bit.ly slash R-O-T-R-G sort of link. But yeah, I mean, like, mm-hmm. I'll drop it in the show notes or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Those those will definitely be available for you listeners to make sure to go get that notification for when the Kickstarter goes live. Let's get it's, uh, let's going get live that in, DYD funded, baby. It's uh, going live November 9th, I think. So pretty soon. So soon. Oh my God. Well, that means I'm going to have to turn this episode around then. <laughs> I'm going to have to get it edited and out there as soon as possible. Any? Do you have any favorite pieces? Is it the Roach God? Is it sort of like the the environment you've put the roach guard in what's your favorite piece of the kickstarter so far in its conception oh gosh if you have to pick randomly again that's okay (laughs) in the making of things i rarely feel i always feel like oh i hate these i hate this i hate like it's always a in, in progress of, of making a thing, it's always a process of like, 
oh, I hate this. I'm embarrassed with this. This is so boring. This is not going to work. So it's more of like, I don't know which one I I dislike the least. But I relate, my dude. I relate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's 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 hard, isn't it? Like, um, I hate right. Take your time. I do like. So in one of those, in one of those. Actually, this this will be part of the preview, the, the adventure that we will that we will have as a preview for the campaign. So it mm-hmm. basically is it's kind of a playtest kit in the sense that here's here's one of the adventures in a in a sort of roughly laid out in a PDF with 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 art and run it and I guess tells what you think or whatever. But it, mm-hmm. I mean the 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 roaches in that particular adventure. I feel quite pleased with because so they are they're sort of the main this the sort of leader of that the, the that particular group of roaches is a mm-hmm. centipede roach in the sense that it's a roach but also a centipede. Yeah, I mean in the sense of it's a bunch of roaches strung 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 along a strung into a long line and she oh god and the, the, the i mean it's very easy to write them as a this is a monstrous thing and it's it's really gross and yeah sure like the, the roaches are kind of mean like kind of they're basically stealing goats from the local community like be like spreading disease and whatnot but the mm-hmm. the idea is that she's a she's an apostate to the roach god so she's one of his daughters but she has left and she is looking for a different way to be, or she's looking to found her own kingdom. So she's looking for a different model of of being a queen, of like having a kingdom, leading a people. And I thought that was an interesting thing to include because, yeah, you you get these obviously monstrous antagonists, but should you take the time to talk to her and sort of like. And I mean, she's not gonna. Uh, she's not gonna. You're not gonna instantly sort of convert her into like, oh, the the nobility of like egalitarianism. But it is. I I just found the idea of like having having a sort of philosophical discussion about the way societies work with an enormous roach centipede really an interesting sort of image. So yeah, that, that's that's one of the things that 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 is possible in the in one of our adventures. Well, if you all want that and more, you're going and I do. It sounds so amazing. Then you need to you know get your notifications on, get your wallets ready. It's not the most charismatic of creatures, roaches, but we hope it, it does. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's not about charisma. <laughs> it's about gesture. Okay. It's about gesture. Yeah. Yeah. It's about. With that, Zedek, I think that we are going to close out the show here, <laughs> being at the top of a, of almost our ninety minutes. Would you just give a brief outro once again of who you are, where people can find you, and any links you want to point them towards? Any of these things will be down below in the show notes for your access listeners. Okay. Once again, I'm Zedek Siu. I'm a writer, designer, translator, editor from Podics in Malaysia, and I'm one half of a thousand th- the a thousand thousand islands. And we, our first book, Reach of the Roach God, will be on Kickstarter soon. Find me at ZXU on Twitter, 
and a thousand thousand islands.com. Amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you, Zedek, for being on here. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Zedek because I learned a lot about myself and roaches today and and so much more <laughs> thank you and um, i mean like you're welcome <laughs> yeah. and we will we will see you next time say bye to the people zedek bye <laughs> bye <laughs>